0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion
1: of this message. I'd like to call your attention to Matthew chapter 26 verse 57 through 75. And if y'all find it, would y'all please stand. <laughs> and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caius. And the high priest were the scribes, and the elders was assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is, it, what is these, these men testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest and said to him, I put you on the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven then the high priest tore his clothes saying he has spoken blasphemy what father need to we have a witness look now you have heard his blasphemy what do you think they answered and said he is deserving of death then they spat his face and beat him and others struck him with the palms of, of their hand saying prophecy to us Christ who is the one who struck you now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were who was there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also the one of them, or your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly.
2: I'm going to continue reading in uh, chapter 27. I'm going to read down through uh, verse 26. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they laid him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, "'Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him.' But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, "'Which of the two do you want me to release to you?' And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, "'What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ?' They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we come in the name of Jesus. And again we come asking for help and enablement. Father, we pray, please open our understanding to your word. Lord, may we we have some... Grasp of the reality of this and not see it as a story, um, as fiction. But Lord, may we understand it for what it truly is a historical account of a living Savior who came to lay down his life for his people. And Father, may we consider as we look at this passage the responses of the different ones that are talked about before us here. Responses to the person, work of Christ. And Lord, may we take these things to heart and consider our own response. And Lord, grant that we may see Jesus for who He really is. The living Son of God. Resurrected Savior. Savior. Our redeemer. we ask it in Jesus name. Amen, Amen. be seated. I'm uh, reading from the English standard version so just to give you a heads up there it's going to differ just a little bit from what uh, what David and uh, Zach were just reading. Um, as we go through some of these passages and we gotta we got a lot to cover so <laughs> so here we go, all right. Um we gotta be done by six because that's when we start the next service. <laughs> okay. So at least you know there's some limits, okay right? <laughs> all right, let's go back uh again. Um, just just to put it a little bit <clears throat> into uh into context here. Um, Matthew all along uh, is is talking to us uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he's speaking to us through his writings concerning the identity of Jesus Christ so uh, sometimes I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again and probably a lot of times you feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again and uh, perhaps I am but Matt, Matthew's driving this point home so I just want us to keep that in mind yet still in fact uh, I'm just thinking that. Just for example, um, back in chapter 1, this is the way Matthew starts out. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. So it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's, now, that's not a last name, that's a title. The Christ, the Messiah. Uh, the Hebrew term is, is uh, the word Messiah. Uh, Christos in the Greek is where we get our word Christ. And then in chapter one sixteen at the end of the genealogy, uh, the last part there, Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, from the very beginning, Matthew's making it clear that he understands that Jesus is the Christ. Now, why is that significant? Because for centuries, the Jews have been awaiting this special one, the word, the Hebrew word Messiah, the Greek word Christ, both mean anointed. The anointed one. So for centuries the, the Jews have been awaiting this anointed one, this deliverer who would come and deliver the people of God. Once again, somewhat like Moses did. In fact, what we, what we have in the story of Moses delivering the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt is a foreshadowing of our redemption in Jesus Christ, our salvation from sin. This time, uh, people are not delivered from uh, Egypt, you know, a literal, a literal uh, nation enslaving uh, God's people. It, this time, it is a greater deliverance it is, it, it is a deliverance from the bondage of sin and the penalties that comes with it. The wages of sin is death. So every person enters into this world a sinner, and every person... Has upon them that condemnation that comes with being a sinner from the start. The indictment is, "You are a sinner." That's the indictment against me. The indictment against all of us. You are a sinner, and the penalty is death. And the Christ and the Jews didn't fully understand this, and don't uh, to this day. But the Christ would come and deliver His people again, not from a nation, but from sin. From the wrath of God. So, Matthew's making it clear from the start. Even before he tells the story about the works of Jesus, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, he's letting us know right up front in chapter 1, this is the Christ. It is Jesus, the one called Christ. Now, he hasn't left that theme. That's the whole purpose of of this gospel account, the whole book of Matthew. All the way through here, and that's why uh, sometimes it sounds a little bit uh, repetitive. But all the way through here, he's driving that point home by showing us uh, the authority of Jesus. He's demonstrated it in his in his works, in his teaching, and repeatedly. Matthew comes back to that. You, you know, Jesus cast out demons. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus did that and that. He's re- showing his authority, showing that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed. One, he's driving that that point home, and so that's again is, is is the primary focus here. I would say the main point in the text that, that David and Agnes read has to do with the identity of this person, Jesus. He's the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Christ. Now, I want us to consider as as we consider that. What Matthew sets before us. And he gives us several um, re- responses, you might say, to the person of Christ. In other words, different views. Different ways people responded to the person of Jesus. Did they believe or not believe? Or, or, or how, did they, how did they deal with that in, in, uh, in their individual circumstances? So, um, we, we have here... The Sanhedrin, which is is the, the council that Jesus has taken before before in the first part of this uh, first part of this account and it's, this is uh, w- where they do a, a mockery really of a, of a trial in the middle of the night trying to hastily condemn him so first of all the, the, the sanhedrin you know what is their, what is their response uh, their their uh, their view of the identity of Christ. What is their response to the identity identity of Christ? And then, secondly, Peter. And then, thirdly, Judas. And then, the response of Pilate. And then, even of Pilate's wife. And then, I want to talk just briefly about um, what Jesus says about Himself. Okay, so. Uh, and that, thats what's at issue. Who is this Jesus? So, for starters, what is the response of the Sanhedrin to this person, Jesus? He's—he's he's arrested. We're told uh, in the in the verses just preceding um, what what they read. Um, he's arrested, and now he's taken to the council, the Sanhedrin. That's verse 57. Then those who seized. Jesus led him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest, um, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Uh, The council is a uh, a body of seventy men, leaders of the nation. Uh, In this case, uh, of course, it's more uh, religion oriented because they don't have; they're they're not in in authority in terms of of, uh, civil affairs. They're, They're under Roman rule, so. They can, um, we we have uh, Muslims today here in in America and in in different parts of the world arguing for the right to conduct, uh, at least to some extent, to conduct their own trials, have their own judicial system according to Sharia law, Muslim law. And some places are actually experimenting with allowing them to do that. They've done that in in England, and there's talk about that here. I don't know that it's going to. Well, who who knows? I don't know that's going to happen here, but there's some pushing for that. We do do that here, though. With who? Anybody know? I mean, there's a a group of people in the United States of America who are allowed, to an extent, to handle their own affairs. Indians, yeah. Native Americans, uh, however you want to say it. It always sounds funny to me because I'm a Native American myself. I don't know that I have Cherokee or any of that in me. Maybe I do but I'm definitely a Native American because um, I was born here. But, yes, Indians, Native Americans, um, they, they have the right to do that to an extent. They can, they can handle their own affairs. Um, and so that's kind of what you've got here with the Jews. They're under Roman authority, but in, in terms of religious affairs, they, they, they can handle it um, to an extent. They, they're not supposed to carry out the death penalty. Although we know they would do that from time to time. Uh, in, in Acts 7, they 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 murder Stephen. You know, they, they pick up stones and stone Stephen to death. Um, but technically that wasn't legal. They had to get permission from the Romans to execute somebody. And that's what is playing out here with Jesus. They're they're wanting accusations worthy of death that they can take to the Roman authorities and say this man deserves to die and have him killed. Now for them, as we see in the text here, as far as the Jews are concerned, they're accusing him of blasphemy and that is an offense worthy of death. It's not an offense worthy of death in the eyes of the Roman government. So what they have to do when they go before Pilate and the Roman government is they have to say, you know, this man is making himself out to be a king. And so they can accuse him of insurrection. You know, in other words, he's, he's a threat to Caesar. And so then, based on that, the Roman government can, uh, can call for the, uh, the death penalty. Because you know, you can't, uh, it would be considered rebellion against Caesar. So that's what they're trying to do here. But, but their response to Jesus, to the person of Jesus, is in a word, this. Rejection. Rejection. I mean, this is blatant. Rejection. They they've seen all the evidence. There's. It, it's not as though there is a an effort here, a, a you know, a consultation among them, and an effort to is this the Messiah? An, an, an effort to determine honestly, you know, is this the Messiah? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe we ought to look at him and his ministry harder. Maybe we ought to get to know Him. This man is teaching wonderful things. He's doing wonderful things. God is in it because there's no disputing the miracles. But you don't don't hear any talk like that, do you? That's not what they're doing. This is blatant rejection. That they know that He's doing the things that He's doing. They know that He's a good teacher. They know that He is healing the sick. Casting out demons and so forth. And they hate him. And so they hold this mockery of a trial on trumped up charges. And by the way, you notice here the, the difficulty they have in even even getting uh, witnesses to collaborate. You have to have, according to Old Testament law, uh, a minimum of, of, of two witnesses. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall thing be confirmed. And so they need at least... Two witnesses to come and agree and say that he did something wrong, and, and preferably something worthy of death. And they never do really get that. Um, if you look uh, in verse 59, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward, and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Now, if you you go to Mark's account and read Mark's account of that, he says that they didn't even agree. Totally. So, So apparently they were making similar statements. In fact, Mark or worse, their uh, their accusation, their their quote a little differently. Um here here it is said this way. This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Not that's that's not exactly what he said, number one, in John two, he said, I can uh, just destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he was talking about the temple of his of his body. He said to them, You destroy you destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he was talking about his crucifixion and death that's about to take place here. And they took it to mean that he was talking about the temple and they said, why are you crazy? This thing, we, we spent 46 years building this thing and you're going to rebuild it in three days? But at any rate, they, they took it as a threatening remark against the temple. And so some of them remember that and they're even though they're not bringing the exact log and plus they misunderstand it on top of that, uh and then also, as Mark says, they can't even quite get together on it. So that you really don't have two good solid witnesses, but in spite of that, because they are determined to reject him because they hate him, the council moves on. And now what they're going to try to do is get him to say something that they can hear with their own ears and condemn him to death. And so in verse 62, and the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. In fulfillment, by the way, of Isaiah 53, 7. Jesus remained silent. It's not that he doesn't speak throughout this whole episode, but but he doesn't defend himself. He's He's not trying to be set free. He's going to willingly lay down his life, as we talked about last week. Now, this has always fascinated me, uh, this next verse. I'll tell you, t- one reason it fascinates me is because this is, a, this is a, a wicked man that's about to put Jesus under oath. And Jesus respects it. Un- under Old Testament law, you go back and read old, the, the uh, uh, instructions for making and keeping oaths under Old Testament law, and it was taken very, 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 serious. And, and some have taken Jesus' words, <clears throat> you know, don't, don't swear by, uh, by the earth because it's the Lord's footstool, don't swear by the heavens because that's his wrong. And some, some have, you know, let your yes be yes and your no-no. Some have taken Jesus' words to mean that we shouldn't take oaths at all. But Jesus doesn't reject the idea here of being under oath. He submits to it. Now, that's an astounding thing to be, especially coming from a wicked high priest. But he's the high priest nonetheless. And Jesus submits to it. it it's just always fascinating I me. Mean, this man, they, they can't get him to say anything, so finally the high priest, with the authority vested in him, stands up and says, I adjure you, that is, I put you under oath. us if you are the Christ the Son of God and by the way that's that's an interesting fact there that they they equate those two the Christ the Son of God they seem to understand that somehow the Christ is the Son of God Jesus said you have said so now I'm going to come back to that but that's a way of affirming it you have said so But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, now they they stand up and charge him with blasphemy and condemn him to death. It doesn't matter that all the evidence is there. They reject him. Secondly, the response of Peter. um, Probably in a word, I would say, confusion. Now, the Lord had already told Peter at the last supper that you're going to deny me three times tonight. Before the cock crows. And we see that in the next several verses, 69 through 75. Now this is different from the council. Peter doesn't hate Jesus. In fact, he, I think, he apparently he and the other disciples had a lot of wrong ideas about the kingdom of God and how, how Jesus would be king, how all that would play out, but they wanted him to be king nonetheless. Peter loves Jesus, but he doesn't love the road to the cross. He doesn't love the cross, and he doesn't love... We know this, and we talked about this last week, so I won't go back through it. And also, you know, you can go back to Matthew 16, where he rebukes Jesus for talking about being crucified. Peter doesn't love the idea of a suffering Christ. And so he's at odds here with the will of God. And just as Jesus foretold, Peter denies him in these next few verses three times. And he's in a fog. He's confused. In fact, at the end of that account in verse 75, Peter remembered the saying, that is he remembered that Jesus told him that. That he would deny him. And if you recall, <laughs> Peter basically said, never. But he remembered what Jesus said to him, and he went out and wept bitterly. Bitterly. Sad, sad story. But Peter Peter doesn't hate Jesus like the council. He's not this is not blatant rejection. This is confusion. He is, to some extent at this point, rejecting God's will. But he's not rejecting so much the person of Jesus Christ. And besides, uh, there's a turnaround that takes place here. Thirdly, the response of Judas. The response of Judas. Judas, it seems... um, Saw this whole thing as a as in in some form or another. He saw this whole thing as a way to profit, and I mean the whole ministry of Jesus, because he he was stealing from the money bag way before we get to this point here. So, probably if I had, maybe if I had to sum up what I what I perceive to be Judas's motive here or his reaction to the person of Christ, his disappointment. Well, perhaps, he was, perhaps he was a zealot and all he was looking for was a better life again we know he's looking to profit in some way he, he steals money from the group, from Jesus and the rest of the group and now when it does not appear that Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom the way that he thinks it ought to come in he's, he is ready to betray him for money or money. That, that is, the person of Christ is not precious to Judas. To Judas, hes hes, he's just looking for a way to to profit. It's—it's it's loving the the gifts or the blessings or the benefits, you know, more than or rather than I should say, the giver, the blesser. Judas was just looking for a better life. I can follow this guy, get him good with this guy. He's going to overthrow. He's going to set us free from Roman rule. We're going to have a better life. We're going to to set up the kingdom. And I'll be one of the ones who rule. But it's evident now at this point, like it is with the rest of them, that it's not going to play out like that. And so while the other disciples are more like Peter, they're, they're basically dazed and confused and don't, don't know what to do. Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. For him, it's just, it's just a way of... And again, I'm not just talking about in his betrayal, but his whole, his whole experience with Christ, his whole relationship with Christ appears to be just a means to another end. In other words, what can I get out of him? That, you know, not him, but something of that he can give me. Still a danger in our day. In the response of Pilate, chapter 27, um, in the first couple of verses, Jesus is taken before Pilate. Like I say, they had to do this because Pilate is the the local representative of of the Roman government. So if there's going to be any execution, he has to be the one to okay it and order it. And what is Pilate's attitude toward Jesus? What is his response to the person of Jesus Christ? Well... Not necessarily blatant rejection like that of the council. Not necessarily confusion like that of Peter. Or disappointment like that of Judas. Or, or you know, an opportunity to profit. Just indifference. Now, every one of these. You know, we, we, we can, we can think of scenarios today, maybe people we deal with or, 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 something that, you know, yeah, they could that. You know, some people just out and out blatantly reject Christ. Um, some people just, just see Christ as a way to, to, to profit. You know, I read a, I read a, not I didn't read, I saw a story yesterday online about a major, uh, ministry that, um, and all the millions of dollars that they're taking in and just doing all of this, crazy spending, you know, jets and this and that kind of thing. I mean, it just seems like that Jesus is just a way to, to profit. And then on the more subtle side, you know, a lot of people do that, with maybe Jesus can just fix my problems. But Pilate's not even going there. And, and, and but all of those, we can make application for all of these. This one to me seems to be the, the one I run up against The most when I talk to people about Jesus. Just indifference. Pilate, it's like like you're just bothering him. When when this is brought before him, it's just a bother to him and he doesn't really want to deal with it. He doesn't much care. I mean, once, once he finds out that there's not much to the charges, I mean, if this were really somebody trying to overthrow Caesar, yes, he would be interested but he can see through all that. He knows the charges are, uh, are, are empty. In fact, it says in verse 18, he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. So he knows there's nothing to the charges. He, he, he says, I, you know, I find no fault in this man. He doesn't care one way or another. He just wants him out of his hair. And he doesn't even know whether there is such thing as truth or not. And doesn't seem to care. In John's account, Jesus speaks to Pilate about the truth, and Pilate leaves the room He says, what is truth? Sounds like a profound question. But again, just like so many today, he's not looking for an answer. He raises the question, what is truth? And walks out of the room. I mean, Jesus could have answered that. In fact, he is truth. I mean, he's standing there looking at truth, asking that Question. He's just totally indifferent. And he tries to absolve himself of responsibility for Jesus' death. Verse 24 So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's. Blood, see to it yourselves. Isn't it amazing that a man could be brought before him, he examines him, finds nothing wrong, and yet he is still willing to turn him over to the crowd? And then thinks he can escape responsibility by, by basically saying, this: I'm washing my hands of this because I, if you want to kill him, you kill him. I'm, I'm not in it. He is in it. He is, at times, somewhat shaken by Jesus, by Jesus' um, answers. Um, and by, you know, obvious, fact that he has no fear, <laughs> he's in, he's in uh, uh, control, but it doesn't shake him enough to want to find out who he really is. And Pilate's wife, probably in the word fear, fear, and it doesn't seem like a good kind either. I mean, we, we talk about fearing God. Uh, and I think probably a good definition for that, um, you know, the beginning of, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. good definition for that is, is a reverential awe. A-W-E. I mean, we fear God. We're in awe of Him. We don't want to displease Him. Tyler's wife, I mean, just from what we have here, and I don't know what the final outcome was with her, but just what we have here, it seems like more of a of a a superstitious kind of thing. I mean, she's not really taking Jesus very serious either. Although, she's scared. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, that is Pilate's wife, sent word to him, Pilate, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him in a dream. So you've got blatant rejection, you've got confusion, indifference, fear, disappointment, many many different responses to the same person. Some, some hate him, some love him, some could care less. Some would fight for him, like Peter. Some would deliver him up for 30 pieces of silver, like Judas. Some like Pilate. just just, just want to be left alone and go about their own business. You know, leave me, let me get on about life. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear about truth, or Jesus, King. I, want, I don't care about all that. I've got a good life. Some, like Paul's wife, just have superstitious ideas. Watch out for this Jesus because uh, i suffered many things because of him. No desire to know him doesn't appear. Just afraid of him. Now, What about Jesus Himself? Who does He say that He is? Just a few minutes left here. Let's go back to chapter 26, verse 64. His confession before the high priest. Remember, the high priest puts Him under oath. He's demanding an answer from Him. By the authority of the living God. (laughs) You see why I find that so fascinating? Because here here the high priest is basically saying, you know, by the authority of the living God, i place you under oath. And the person that he's talking to is the living God. And yet, Jesus submits to that and gives an answer. He said this. You have said so. Now that's 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 an affirmative. High priest says, "Are you the Christ, the Son of God?" And Jesus is, is essentially saying, "You you said correctly." It's literally just you have said, but uh, the idea there is it's an affirmative answer. You said correctly, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power coming on the clouds of heaven. Now real quick here, Jesus uses two Old Testament passages in that response. Two, two Messianic passages, that is, two, two Old Testament passages referring to the Messiah, the, the, the Christ, the Anointed One. Which, of course, they are denying that Jesus is. They they don't believe that he's the Christ. The first one is Daniel 7.13. Jesus pulls two phrases from there. Son of man. He he refers to himself as the son of man. Pulling that phrase from Daniel 7.13. And then the phrase coming on the clouds of heaven coming on the clouds. Also pulled from Daniel 7.13. Daniel 7.13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's Daniel's vision of the Son of Man. It's a prophetic vision of Christ. Looking forward into the future. And Jesus is saying by his confession here, that is talking about me. This is who I am. The Son of Man that Daniel saw in his vision. The Son of Man coming in the clouds. The Son of Man, to whom will be given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now they know what he's saying. They recognize They recognize the references to the passages. And the other one is this. Psalm 110, verse 1. And, and Jesus, obviously, he's got this fresh on his mind. We just talked about this back in chapter 22. Chapter 22, verses 41 through 46, Jesus asked the Pharisees this question. He stumped them with this question. If they, if the, who do you say the Christ is? They said the Son of David. And Jesus said, okay, well, then if he's the Son of David, why does David call him Lord? If he's his Son, why does he call him Lord? I mean, that would not be appropriate, right? The Father is superior over the Son. So why would, why would he call him Lord? And they couldn't answer that. And Jesus referred them to Psalm one ten one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So there David is speaking and he says,
1: the Lord, Yahweh, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you know about
0: that that uh, name, that designation for God. The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh says to my Lord, and again, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you're familiar with that, Adam I. So we've got two lords there. That's a problem. (laughs) We got, we got two Lords. The Lord, Jehovah God, the I Am, that's the term, the Lord, the I Am, says to my Lord, Adonai. Well, who is David's Lord? Well, you say that the only only one that could be David's Lord is Jehovah God, right? Yeah, but he says Jehovah God says to my Lord. So who's he talking about? Well, they know that's a reference to the Christ. And that's why Jesus raises that question. If the Christ is the son of David, which, again, they also know, then why does David call him Lord? Of course, the answer is, (laughs) because he is his son, he is his descendant. And he is also his Lord. So even though he's his descendant in the flesh, Jesus, he's also his superior. Because he's his creator, his God. Now, Jesus takes from that passage, Psalm one ten one. he takes the the phrase uh, at the right hand here. You have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, or literally the power, seated at the right hand of the power, in reference to God. So he says, the Son of Man from Daniel, you will see seated at the right hand of power, which is a fulfillment of Psalm one ten one, because the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, and you will see him Coming in the clouds, again a reference to Daniel seven thirteen, of heaven. Now again, if you consider those two passages, Yahweh said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus is saying, That's talking about me. And Daniel says, I saw the Son of Man coming with the clouds. He came to the ancient of days, was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus is saying, that is me. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus is saying, Yes, and more. More than what you understand. Because the Christ, the Son of God, is the law. He's the Son of Man who will come again in judgment. So and they understand as he's telling them you sit and judge me now, in the future, I'll sit and judge you. what ought to happen here is that they fall to their face and repent. doesn't happen. One last note and we're done. With the Sanhedrin, the council, there is no repentance regarding their attitude toward Jesus. Case of many today. They, they they hate Christianity, they hate the idea of Jesus, they hate the biblical God. There's no evident remorse for that. Pilate again, no remorse. Not really. I mean, he's just pretty much indifferent. And his indifference, his indifference will condemn him. And his attempt to absolve himself of responsibility accomplishes nothing. It's all in vain. Later you get to the book of Acts. Pilate is named as one responsible for the death of Jesus. No evidence. We don't know what happened later, but no evidence is any changing. Pilate's wife did her fear drive her to... Become a Christian doesn't sound like it. Again, to me, it sounds more like a superstitious kind of here. Maybe it changed. We don't know. That leaves us with Judas and Peter. Interesting, isn't it, that we're told here that Judas was remorseful, or the Old King James even uses the word repent, repented, um, and that is the word, in, in the, and that's why it uses that in the Greek. Uh, that's, 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 a, that's an accurate translation but when we read that it's, it, 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 we kind of get confused don't we what, what does it mean he repented the ESV puts it this way same thing just a different way of saying it he changed his mind he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders saying I have sinned by betraying innocent blood he understood that much And they said, what is that to us, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple? He departed, and he went and hanged himself. That's not saving repentance. He had a change of mind, all right. He was remorseful in one sense, but this wasn't godly repentance. We discussed this in Sunday school a while ago. How do I know it wasn't? Because his his repentance here, his remorse, turned him completely inward, and in total despair, he ran out and killed himself. On the other hand, G, Judah, uh, Peter, rather, Peter, right minute. On the other hand, Peter, whose offense was really no worse than Judas's, also repented. I know that from what goes on later, not just from the text here. It does tell us here that he, has, it, uh, he exhibits remorse. He went out and wept bitterly. Very strong language. And we know from later accounts that his repentance drove him not to suicide. His repentance drove him to Christ. His repentance didn't turn him inward. It turned him to Christ. Every one of us have had wrong ideas about Jesus, and we probably still have some today that we need to deal with. Peter's the only one in this picture who winds up in good shape. And it's because with all of this confusion, the fog, where does he go with? It? Ultimately, back to Christ. Back to Christ. Back to Christ. There's no no rejection here of Christ. There's no indifference toward Christ. No superstitious feelings about Christ. Peter's in love with the person of Jesus Christ. Not Not a religious idea. Not a form of worship. He's in love with a person. He's been changed. He's been moved by a person. Jesus Christ, would you stand, please? It's not about religion or religious activity. The question is, what's your what's your attitude toward? Jesus. Is He precious to you? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Let's pray. We'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.